It's Something for Nothing, the Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, one of our listeners' favorite guests, is returning today. Oh, I was going to say me. I had some, <laughs> some kind of joke about me returning today. <laughs> You're not one of our listeners' favorite guests. I, I was just going to say that. I'm no one's favorite. Lex is one of our listeners' favorite guests. I know. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, but the episode that he was on, I think, was number 100. Yes. People loved hearing Lex. First of all, to prove that he was even around, a real person. Right. People thought we made him up. People thought we made him up. Then I guess we were playing bass. Which is <laughs> just, just funny. Come on. We can't play bass. We all know that. You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, find us at TheRushCast. Email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. Subscribe, rate, review us on your favorite podcast app. Not just Lex today, Jerry. We have four guests today on the Rush Fan Cast. But before we get to them, I bet you have an email for us. I do. So this email is from Derek. He lives in a town called Greenock, which is near Glasgow in Scotland. Oh, nice. Hey, Derek. He says, I live in Greenock, 20 miles west of Glasgow in Scotland, and I have been listening to your podcast since coming across it around February of this year. And only this week am I listening to it in real time. Oh, wow. Caught up. That averages out around five episodes per week since I started. Not bad since I work and have a good home and social life too. (laughs) (laughs) My Rush origin story is relatively familiar in that I'm returning home one night as a 13-year-old from the Boys Brigade, an organization very similar to the Boy Scouts. In 1976, I was allowed over to my friend's house for an hour before coming home. When I arrived there, his older brother had a new album, All the World's a Stage, and he was playing it on his family's new hi-fi stereo music center, a stack system with tape, tuner, amp, and turntable, and he was playing the music through his new headphones so as not to disturb his parents who were watching TV in the same room. We had one of those too in my house. Oh, yeah. A huge console in the same room as a television. Yeah, we had one too. I had never seen any of this equipment before, as my brother and I shared a bedroom and only had the old mono-padded plastic stack system record player with two albums he had acquired, Foxtrot by Genesis and Desire by Bob Dylan, alongside a peculiar mix of seven-inch singles, which my older sisters had bought, who by this time had moved out of the house. We went to sleep each night for months, playing either of those two albums as if they were lullabies to assist us in getting off to sleep. In any case, back at my friend Billy Murray's house, his big brother Ted asked me, If I wanted to hear the music through the headphones, I accepted the offer, which in effect changed the course of my life, costing me countless thousands of pounds in vinyl, cassette tapes, though never my favorite medium, CDs, not to mention gigs, and everything else that goes along with anyone who is considered listening to music as one of the most important things in their life. Of course, the experience of hearing this music through headphones for the first time may have been the catalyst, as the world was closed off as soon as the headphones cupped my ears. The music being fed straight to my brain, however, had me mesmerized as a unique experience. I am also sure it was the choice of music supplied to my brain that gave me the music bug. I now know all the world's a stage isn't the best produced album ever, but it was the visualization of the live event that I imagined I was at, which enraptured me. Right there and then, I knew I had to go to a concert. The following week, my uncle had visited and had given us kids 10 pounds each. I immediately knew what I was going to do with this money. I went to our local record store and bought Boston, their first album, and Rush's Caress of Steel, and the rest is history. 
It would be June 12, 1977, almost a year later, when I went to the famous Glasgow Apollo to see Rush in concert, supported by the band Stray. I drifted from what Rush were doing after Signals, like many others, but never stopped listening to the albums up to that point. I have to thank you guys for encouraging me to go back and pick up from where I left off. Why so many Rush fans left at this point is very interesting, but it does seem that just as many, probably more new Rush fans emerged at the same time, especially in America. I had continued to buy Rush albums without really playing them and only picked up the odd track from the later albums for a few times seeing them live in Glasgow. That was until Snakes and Arrows and Clockwork Angels. In total, I saw Rush six times, ending with the Time Machine Tour. I am now going through each post-Signals album and finding gem after gem. I will be at Rush Fest Scotland in May 2023, so if you guys are there, I can't wait to buy you a meal. And I will buy you a pint. Thanks so much for your efforts to date, Derek. Thanks so much, Derek, for your origin story, for writing us, for listening. We really appreciate it. And Jar, I hope you save that email for when we do our Boston podcast. That can be a Boston <laughs> origin story too, right? That's right. The first Boston album is incredible. It really is good. So Jar, the glue that holds this podcast together, you know, it's not you. It's not me. It's not me. It's Lex. And we all know that the bassist is the glue that holds any band together, right? That's what bassists say. <laughs> the Meadow Reband with Lex on bass has a new album out called Hand in Glove. And today, Jer, they're releasing a video of a Rush cover making memories. We're thrilled to have four of the band members with us today. Matt O'Ree on guitar and vocals, Aaron on vocals, John Hummel on drums, and of course, Lex Lehman on bass. Welcome, guys, to the Rush Fancast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. So we like to start out by asking our guests their Rush origin story. And I think we'd like to start with John, the drummer. What's your Rush origin story, John? When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? Well, I think it was probably 1979. And a friend of mine, he had older brothers and they were all into progressive rock. And at that point, my record collection pretty much was Kiss, Alice Cooper, and Aerosmith. But he started getting me into the like more progressive stuff. And so he brought over a bunch of records and he put on a Farewell to Kings. And um, the song Farewell to Kings starts with that classical thing. And then when the band kicks in, the thing that really got me was not even the drums. It was the guitar sound, that chorusy, that Alex Slafson, just big, wide, like chimey sound. I just never heard anything like it before. And that was the thing that was like, this is amazing. And, uh, and then as the song went on, of course, it, you know, it, it, you know, the drums came in and it was like, oh man, the drumming's in insane. And uh, yeah, so that was, that's pretty much it. And I, I was a fan from that point on. Yeah, the Farewell to Kings album, it sounds so much different than any other Rush album, doesn't it? Yeah. Just from that, like you said, the guitar tone on it is so much different than everything that came before and right after it. Yeah. It was sort of the beginning of that second phase of what they were doing, right? Like yeah. the albums were split up by the live album. So it's like four albums and a live album, four albums and a live album. And I feel like Farewell to Kings was definitely like the beginning of that next phase. So it was, you know, that and Hemispheres, you know, and Permanent Waves, right? There's that distinct sound just in that sort of second era of Rush, whatever you want to call it. Right. Until they figured out that people would buy live albums every single album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, let's do it every time. What about you, Matt? What's your introduction to Rush? I had to think about this because Lex actually asked me the, this question, you know, a few weeks ago. And mine actually is a little bit later because I wasn't really quite playing guitar just yet. But it was it was definitely the drumming, obviously. But I specifically remember getting a set of roller skates for Christmas. And we had a base, you know, a basement, typical New, New Jersey basement. But the basement, you know was kind of circled around the steps leading down to the basement. So we, my brothers and sisters and I, you know, made our own roller rink in the basement, you know, <laughs> around the, around the steps, you know, and I think it was either that year or the year after, whatever, it might've been at the same time that we all got boom boxes for Christmas, you know, <laughs> and that was like, oh my God, it was the greatest thing on earth. So listening to the radio and I think it was, it was probably, I guess, 1027 back then. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And hearing, you know, Spirit of the Radio, you know, and that was like, like, that was my first introduction was like hearing that roller skating. And I didn't even play yet, but that was, you know, same thing that John said with that, that big wide chorusing tone of Alex that was like, wow, that's like, didn't sound like anything else before, you know, and that, but that, that was, that was my thing. It was, it was roller skating and listening to, to Rush. I feel like the Spirit of Radio in general was something that became more, for them, radio friendly, if you know what I mean, yeah, around right, that yeah. era, right? Which, yeah, which is probably why, obviously, why I was hearing it as a new radio listener with my brand new Panasonic boombox. <laughs> 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 but you know, that, it was, it was, you know, it was monumental. Even as you know, someone who was going to become a musician, you know, I, I specifically remember that, and it did influence me for for sure. Although every once in a while he hums Passage to Bangkok. I do, yes. <laughs> I love that riff. You know, we've heard a lot of Rush origin stories, but that is the first one that involves roller skates. Oh, nice. Oh, good. Okay. All right. Nice. Well, I, I, don't, I don't roller skate anymore. I, probably, I do. <laughs> probably break something, but you know, Aaron does, yes. So I was talking to Lex earlier today, Aaron, and he told me that Pretty much this cover you guys did of Making Memories was your first introduction to Rush. Is that correct? I mean, yeah. Other than all the really popular things that are on the radio that you hear on classic rock stations. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, she did an amazing job singing Getty Lee's parts, you know. And it's like people forget that Getty Lee's voice, his vocal range was so much higher than than the average male, you know. So Erin singing it when, she's, when we started playing with it at rehearsal, it was like, wow, this makes absolute sense. Like, it's just, she she did such a great job, you know, channeling that, the vibe of Getty, I think, you know, so I'm, I'm excited for everybody, you know, all the Rush fans out there to, to hear this song because it, it is a, a different take on the song, but I, I hope that they, uh, I hope they enjoy it as much as we enjoyed making it. Well, it is amazing and we'd like to play it right now and then we'll talk about it some more.
So Lex, this was kind of your idea to cover Making Memories. So why don't you tell us why you chose this song for you guys to play? So being associated with this podcast for a while, I thought it would be kind of cool for us to do one, right? And I think a lot of Rush's later stuff doesn't translate for the style of music that we do. We're more straight ahead rock, not so much the progressive stuff, not so much when they got more into the, like the keyboards and stuff like that. So I started going back and looking at, say, you know, the first album and Fly By Night. And I liked the sound of this song, but the lyrics made a lot of sense. So, you know, for the past few years, Aaron and Matt have been doing a lot of touring. And, you know, the lyrics to the song really make sense to someone who spent that time in a car, you know, going from town to town and like, is it worth the whole thing? You know what I mean? If you, if you, if you read the lyrics, I mean, I'm sure Aaron could probably give you a oh, better. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it can become very disheartening on the road sometimes, and you're, it's almost like you're, what is it, beating a, beating a dead horse? Yeah, thankless but, job. <laughs> but, um, you know, at the end of the day, when you get home, it's always, but we are having a great time, and we really do love what we do, and I kind of feel like the lyrics of this kind of summarize that. So I, you know, when Lex brought the song to the table, I was like, okay, I love it. Let's do it. I'm in. I, I completely relate to all of it. How did you approach, you know, working on the lyrics and singing the song as opposed, you know, in contrast to how it's done by Rush? I tried to make it more of how I would approach a song. I mean, of course, I try to always learn what they do and then and then change it. So I learned, tried to learn it exactly as he did it at first. And then I have to make it my own. And I sing things a little more bluesy. So I then switched around some of the melodies a little bit, but I don't think we got too far off of what they were originally doing, but made it more matter reband esque and you know. I just made that word up. <laughs> it was a super tall order, you know, for us to to jump into a progressive, you know, incredible, you know, iconic band. It's almost like, you know, their music's so great the way they played it that almost didn't want to play a cover of their song, you know, it'd be, it would be easier for us to play something like a Zeppelin cover. And that's not easy to do either, but you know, it's like, you know, it, Rush just had such a, such a way of, of the delivery of their music, you know, it's, it's, it, it can't be messed with. Right. Which is you know? why I felt like we needed to do our own thing and not do, try to just completely redo it the yeah. way they were doing it. Yeah. You know, we, right. we needed to make it fitting for us and, you know, whenever I try to sing something, I always try to make sure it resonates with me as a vocalist. And this one definitely did. I think the one line to me, which I don't know, made me think of Aaron is the last line of, I guess, the chorus. Oh, maybe whatever. road life's not so bad. Maybe road life's not so bad. Right? <laughs> <Because> yes. <laughs> you spend a lot of time. It's like, I think people don't understand how much like you're on stage for, let's say, two hours. And then another 20 hours of the day is riding from town to town, setting up equipment, you know, carrying things in, carrying things out, sitting there waiting to go on. There's a lot of time that's not spent doing the thing you love. Mm -hmm. But but it pays off so hard that like whatever, two hours that you're up there playing, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's kind of what I see in that line that maybe Neil thought when he was writing it, right? Is that they're, and at the time they're traveling like in a station wagon. Right? Oh. Wrote this, yeah. right? we, we understand. 
there and writing the lyrics it's like the three of them and like uh um what was it howard at the time that was like the road manager yep yeah so you know one guy's driving one guy's the guy that's lucky enough to sleep on the equipment in the back right? <laughs> and two other guys are bored out of their skull but i think in the case of this neil was probably sitting there with a notepad writing these lyrics out not I feel like he was trying to keep himself positive while they're, you know, yeah. just even like the first line of the song, right? There's a time for feeling as good as we can. Time is now, you know, like we're out here doing this right now and we need to fucking feel good about it. So <laughs> I kind of right. feel like it's about staying because like I said before, you can become very jaded and disheartened when you're out on the road. So if you can keep a good mindset about it and realize what you're doing is actually really fun and it's what you love to do, you know then it's really not that bad. And the end of the name of the song, Making Memories. That's, exactly. That's it kind of sums it all up. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. I was going to say, I would rather be doing that than sitting in an office. <laughs> <laughs> so would I, actually. I, I could play an instrument. But, you know, this song was written before Fly By Night, obviously, was recorded. So it was, it was when they were touring on the first album. So Neil had been in the band a month or something like that by this time, when they're probably writing this song. 22 years old. Yeah, 22 years old. Wow. And it's good that he had that mindset. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's something also to be said about how young they were creating incredible music, much like all the other influence that we have, too. And, you know, it's like I feel like it took me to be my age to finally play it right. <laughs> you know, and, and they're doing that with such maturity at 22 years old. Like, it was the world was a different place, obviously, you know, and that's mm -hmm. a huge part of it, you know, but it's inspiring at the same time. You're like, God, how did they, how did they do that? You know, how do they, <laughs> it's incredible. Now, do you guys write songs on the road at all? Like Neil did? Absolutely. Yeah. A, a lot of stuff from the new, new record was written on the road. Too. Yeah. Particularly that, uh, the song called I'll be your shotgun. It was actually a similar type story to this song. Like, it's me and Matt on the road, kind of conquering the world together, I guess. Yep. I wrote it when we were doing minivan tours. Yeah, we were yeah. doing these tours down in Texas in our crappy 90-something, what year There's nothing crappy about that car, honey. <laughs> anyway, I mean, there was a tour where literally both headlights were out, the, both, the door handles were broken off, yeah. it, it, the rubber was flapping against the car. You it had, know. had a, few, a few road but, issues. <laughs> but that, I wrote the lyrics for that song, it called, you know, and it, it is about me being a shotgun i'm the shotgun in the yeah. car and but <laughs> driving for hours and hours yeah and then i gave it to lex and we all kind of created it into what it is now now the video for this song is being released at the same time that this podcast is being released and it was kind of refreshing seeing the video and it wasn't that typical four square covid video that we've been seeing lately <laughs> i just love it i love the fact that it was you guys in the studio and just kind of seeing the making of the song. Can you tell us how the video was made and how difficult was it to put all that together? Sure. So we knew we wanted to, uh, you know, record it in a comfortable environment. So uh, our friend, well, I, you know him, Bob Pantella. He's oh, yeah. the drummer for Monster Magnet. Mm -hmm. So he's got a little studio in um, Keyport, New Jersey. And um, we just went in with him and, you know, set up and, threw a couple of cameras up while we were working just so we had some footage to work with to make a video out of. And uh, basically what you see, you know, when you see close-ups of each person is the actual recording while we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, a lot of help from Bob there, you know, to, to 
put it down for us. And then, you know, we just went in and did it. We just went in and did it. You know, it wasn't too much thought behind it. It was kind of like we wanted to do the song. So we just knocked it out. And, uh, you know, the proof's in the pudding, I guess, if, you know, if people like it. I, I hope they do. You know, take a look at the video. I'm sure you guys will, like, tweet it out somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll share it everywhere. It's not fan tunes. If those guys ever want to, like, you know, <laughs> volunteer to do a video for us, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, we just kind of filmed some footage with our fancy iPhones. Just and- with iPhones and a little bit of editing, you know, and we... We were able to slap it together, you know, but it's, it's, it's also, you know, I mean, we, we didn't want to think too much about the song going in too, because we didn't want to start messing with it too much and keeping it more, you know. We wanted to make it more real. We wanted yeah, to make it real. Exactly. The video too. We wanted the video to kind of give off the same vibe that we were giving off in our performance for the song. You know, and our, our new record, Hand in Glove, we recorded that live. Everything but the vocals were live. We did the vocals at home so we could save money and not be in a, in a big studio, you know, with the clock ticking. And we kind of tried to do that with this. Yeah, because after doing that, because none of us have really had the opportunity to do that in a long time. Because records aren't, you know, nowadays made piecemeal. And I hate it. We all hate it. And I think, you know, that concept of piecemeal really stands out in the recordings of a lot of you know newer music so it was like you know let's let's make this record like we used to when we were kids you know and then obviously people we grew up listening to recording it live so we did the same thing with this rush song as well now lex you know that we noticed uh, a little bit of cygnus x1 at the end there i was gonna <laughs> say that too <laughs> yeah so why'd you throw that in there? So when we were uh, first like learning the song and rehearsing it over at John's basement, I'm not sure how conscious it was if John and I were just messing around. I think we just started playing the the Cygnus X1 little riff. And uh, I don't know how conscious the decision was. Like, hey, let's throw it at the end of the song. Or it was more like we were just messing just around. I think we were just goofing I, I, about I, it. I think it just happened one time. And then it was like, let's keep that in there. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so it's like you end the song and then like he counts off three, four, you know, I I don't know. I I like it. I I do too. And I thought it was funny when Pantella heard it for the first time. He's like, hey, wait a minute. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) I think they had ended a few shows like that before themselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I hated it when they did that because I always wished they were going to play Cygnus. And now I wish you guys would play it. <laughs> Maybe in the future. Oh, that, that'd be a long one to, uh, to cover, right? All right. So let's talk about influences. Alex Lifeson lists Jimmy Page as an influence. And I'm going to guess that you probably do as well, Matt, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's, I, I was teaching uh, guitar today, and I've been teaching for 30 years now. And two of my students today said, wow. That first track on the record, you know, really shows off your influence of Jimmy Page. And, and I just sit there and smile because it's, I'm happy about that, proud about that. And, you know, only can pray that maybe someday I'll get a chance to meet him and, and hang with him. Yeah, the first Rush album, obviously very influenced by Zeppelin. There are a lot of comparisons yep. between them and Zeppelin at the time. Yeah. How could it not be? Yeah, I mean, you know, for them, that was like, you know, the biggest band in the world as they were like working on their first album, right? So right. it's kind of hard not to. Plus, they were kids when they did it. So you really reflect those influences when you're young. You know what I mean? You're trying to emulate your heroes. And obviously, they evolved into what they became. But that, yeah, the first one is definitely they're wearing Zeppelin on their sleeve. Sure. Yeah. What about you, John? Is it John Bonham? Is it Neil Peart? 
Who's your number one? Well, John Bonham is definitely up at the top. Neil Peart, as much as I love his drumming, he wasn't really a big influence on me. I mean, I went through like a short period where I thought like he was it. But there's a lot of other drummers too, um, like you know, Ian Pace and Alan White and Bill Bruford and Roger Taylor from Queen, you know, Cozy Powell. These guys are all big influences on me. I know for Neil, I know Keith Moon was a big influence, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You could definitely yeah. hear the Keith Moon influence in some of the early stuff. Yeah. yeah. Just the, the feel of the, the fills that he did. You know how Keith Moon had that sort of sloppy swing thing? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I think Neil didn't have the sloppy part of it, but he sort of had the Keith Moon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he was never sloppy. Minus, no, no, well, no. he wasn't never. as high, right? Well, yeah. Will he didn't fall off his chair. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> There's that, of course. <laughs> the thing I always wondered about Keith Moon is, do you think he was able to replicate those recordings live? Because it seemed like he was just playing off the top of his head half the time. No, I don't, I don't think he ever even tried. I, I don't think he was that kind of player. I think he just, everything was just improv, spur of the moment kind of thing. Um, anything live I've heard by the who, I've never, I've never heard him do the same thing as what's on the records. <laughs> yeah, I think Pete Townsend once said that uh, everything that he plays is like the punchline to a joke. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Aaron? Who would you say your influences are as a vocalist? As a vocalist? I would say my number one is Aretha Franklin. And then there's like Etta James and Ray Charles and, of course, Robert Plant, a lot of those people. But And then I got into the jazz more, Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday, that kind of stuff. Paul Rogers. I go, I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking, and I, we were sort of talking about this before, me and you, Steve, was as Aaron's more of a newcomer to Rush, this could be a good thing to, you know, hey, what are like the songs that are an intro to Rush, so to speak? Right. You know what I mean? Well, I do remember at our rehearsal saying like, wow, this song is actually really great for my range. Yeah. I was like, sometimes Robert Plant can be too high or too low. But like Getty's in your wheelhouse. But it was like right there. I was like, this is great. This is like the perfect range, high register, low register. I was like, this is perfect for me. What do you think of Getty Lee as a vocalist? I think he's great. The most impressive part, obviously, are the, the high notes that he can hit as a male vocalist. And the strength that he puts behind those notes, too. Yeah, he's not doing he's like not a falsetto. He's not just doing a falsetto, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, more the soul music, they had more of the falsetto, which I love, too, like Al Green and, and stuff. But he puts a lot of the power behind it, but he doesn't sound cheesy like some of those 80s rock bands. <laughs> <laughs> we won't name names. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get into You guys know who I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> those guys. <laughs> You know, we've also tried to find out what would be a good selection of Rush songs to introduce to someone. And we never really came up with, you know, like a top 10 list that everyone could agree on because everyone wants, you know, their their favorite Rush songs to introduce other people to. Well, plus stylistically, they change so much over the years. It's like, yeah. Yeah. where do you want to place them? Like, do you want someone who's going to listen to like what you're doing? That's a straight ahead rock song. Do you want to hear like closer to the heart that has, you know, a very singable chorus, you know, that people, I mean, you hear it live, people sing along with it. Something like Tom Sawyer, which was on the radio forever. And it's sort of become iconic like that. You know, there's so many different directions you could go, but I don't know. Maybe you could put it out to the listeners. (laughs) What what are your suggestions? That'd be a great list. I think it would depend on who that person's already into. 
Right. Like, yeah. I think you chose this song based because you know I love yes. Led Zeppelin and you know who I listen to. So you, you thought, oh, Aaron will like this one. Yes. <laughs> Somebody will suggest Bytor and the Snow Dog. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> so let's talk about your new album, Hand in Glove. Matt, your name is on the record, but this is truly a group effort, isn't it? It definitely was. You know, all these years, you know, prior to that was more, you know, I guess myself as the effort but you know there's always you know input from every musician that's been in the band over the years but this one definitely was collectively you know the four of us really you know hashing this out in john's basement you know and i couldn't be more proud of this record not only the production um the mix you know but the songwriting and you know Aaron and i writing you know a lot of the stuff together and she did a lot of the lyrics too and the melodies and it was you know it just goes to show you collaboration, you know, can yield better results than someone sitting there by themselves. Did it come together easily or did it take a long time to put these songs together? Yeah. So some of the riffs I wrote quite some time ago, but, and then, you know, presenting it to everybody, you know, at Lexus house one, one day and was like, yeah, I think we got some, some cool things here. Let's, let's try to, you know, hash them out at John's house. And, and that's, you know, slowly but surely they all started coming together yeah some of them were easy and some of them took more time but it depends a couple of the songs we were playing a while too before we recorded them we always prefer to play them out a few times if Mm -hmm. not maybe you know 10 gigs or 20 gigs you know before you record it because by the time you get your your final ideas together you know it's like I guess that's why there was always live versions, you know, obviously of Rush songs and, and Zeppelin songs, since we mentioned them before, that were always different. You know, it was like, wow, right. I wonder if they had spent more time with the songs, you know, performing them, if they would eventually had been what we heard live than what was on the recording, studio recording. So, And then you have songs like Better As I Go that just happened to be a riff Lex was playing and we were like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa what is that? Yeah, re- rewind <laughs> that one. So. And by the next week, we had the song finished pretty, you know, pretty much, you know. So, but you know, there was a lot of tweaking. You know, we, it was the it was the four of us really, you know, digging into it to it together, which which I really enjoyed, and, and I look forward to the next record. Well, let's take a listen to a track from Hand and Glove. This one features Aaron on vocals, and it's called Stepping Stone. Help, give me strength for my struggles. Please tell me which path I should take And I can't seem to shake all these troubles There's always a new choice to make Mama said, my darling, don't worry no more So we'll always know the way Where it leads us to, we don't really have a say Not a stumbling block, it's a stamping stone Destiny has a mind of its own How did I end up on this stage With nothing but the wind to take my place
Aaron, did you write the lyrics for this particular song? I noticed a kind of a tie-in with Rush, of course, because that's me. <laughs> uh, fate and chance seem to be the theme of this song. Am I correct? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Destiny. Actually, Lex helped me a little bit lyrically with this as well. But I was trying to channel kind of giving advice to a, maybe a younger generation or from a mother to a child. Yeah, the lyrics come across to me when I was listening to it. There's a certain like resignation in them, mm-hmm. but then also uh, like a dedication, a rededication to your cause, I suppose, if you want to call it that, singing and being in a band. Yes, absolutely. Yep. I was taking a class in college that was all about kind of your path in life and where you think you're going to go isn't always where you end up. And I kind of feel like that happened to me. I always wanted to be a singer, of course, but where I am now, like booking the band and doing the band business and having a degree in entertainment business, all the other things that I do, like isn't where I pictured I was going to be. And, but I love it. And it kind of became my path. So, you know, destiny kind of has its own plan for you. And sometimes you're better where you end up than where you thought you're going to be. So what's the writing process like for a song like this? Are the lyrics written first? Does the music come first? How does that work, Matt? Great question. You know, I mean, for me being a a guitar player first, you know, always, always will be, you know, my first love. For me, it's always the riff, you know. I always make jokes with Aaron that the words are just a vehicle to get to the guitar solo. <laughs> and, they're, and they always stand in my way. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, so for me, it's always that guitar riff, really. You know, it's a lot of times, you know, again, being a guitar teacher, private instructor, you know, I'll write a lot of riffs while I'm teaching because I just might hear something that, like, inspires me, you know. But... um for this particular one, actually, Aaron and I were on our little van tour and we stopped at a friend of ours out in Ohio because we had a couple of days off, but we didn't have enough time to come home and come back. So we stayed at his, his studio for a couple of days and we got a chance to shut the world off and, and just sit in the studio room. And I just started writing riff after riff. And, and a lot of those riffs came out on this record. And that this particular one, which is based on a Mixolydian mode, so for those musician nerds out there and i never wrote anything with that and i was like gosh it's kind of cool you know it's got a, a different sound to it and all the things that go along with mixolydian so that's really where that rock riff part came of the song i believe that they were two different ideas that got melded together into this one song so let's check out another track from the album this one is called wake up and live it features Matt on vocals From all those Hollywood types Tired of all the childish things There's no sincerity inside Yeah, the world is changing fast The future's memory of the past You gotta know what to hold on to Go! 
take a look all over the place Seems the whole world has lost its grace Regrets won't be the mistake Only the chances we didn't take So don't count the days, wake up and live You know today is gonna come in Don't count the days, make them count instead Don't worry about what could have been Every day has a brand new sky Always remember to watch out free the clouds Tell us about the origins of this particular song. To me, it was the hardest one on the record. <laughs> I, I guess because I, I think at this point, it was like sort of the last song we were still messing with. I was out of ideas lyrically. Aaron came up and with a bunch of it. And I guess I just had a hard time connecting with it, but I eventually did, you know. And, uh, you know, Aaron wanted to keep, you know, have a nice positive, you know, message again to people listening to the song. You know, she could chime in on that, too. Well, sure. you know, if you get tired of writing the same old heartbreak and love songs. So to yeah. me, some of my favorite bands, some of my favorite songs, they're, they have good messages about life. And I kind of wanted to do something like that. And uh, it's also hard for someone to write something that would also you could, another vocalist would connect with. Sure. So I was trying to, like, think of where Matt would be mentally when he was singing it. <laughs> Originally, I was like, ah, it's not coming back. <laughs> yeah, you know, sky's gray, everything stinks. Yeah, I'm know. like, no, let's put this in a positive light. And yeah, and she's like, well, it's not coming back. It's a good thing. And I'm like, ah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like that line. Don't count the days, make them count instead. I thought that was a really good 
a really good yeah. message that sort of like brings that home. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and it definitely fit with the, you know, the music too. It was There was sort of a, shall I say, Billy Squire-esque thing going on with the guitar riff a bit or maybe during the verses. And, and there's um, a little Almond Brothers in there for yeah, the bridge. Yeah, there's a bit of Almond's influence there too. But um, I'm glad that you picked that song. Yeah, I found a, a connection between the two songs that we chose just because of the, you know, the feeling that you should give in to the the moment that you're in and make the best of it. Yes. Was that basically? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Definitely. Yep. There's a lot going on in the world that you can't change, but yeah. you can only live for today, right? Yeah. That's all you got. So how do you guys decide who handles the vocals on each particular song? Is it just basically whoever writes the lyrics sings it, or is it more complicated than that? Flip a coin. No. <laughs> no, it's a... <laughs> I mean, not necessarily, because I wrote the lyrics on Wake Up and Live, but Matt sings it. It, it just oh, okay. depends. I think it just be, happened naturally. Yeah some, yeah. some of them actually happened when we were actually recording. Yeah, that's true. When we were in the studio, we were just, you know, we were recording all the instruments. And, you know, the um, so Aaron was doing the scratch vocals because um, Matt was busy playing guitar and wanted to just concentrate on that. And hearing Aaron sing some of the stuff that, um, she wasn't originally going to sing. It was like, wait a second, her, yeah. that her voice on that song, it should be there. Yeah, better as I go was that one. I think I originally was just singing the pre-chorus, and Matt was singing the verses. And when we did, when I did the scratch, I was like, Matt, I think I need to, I, I need to sing this one. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, after, after after the original idea, better as I go was maybe Aaron sing the chorus and I do the verse and sort of not a duet, but split the parts and. And the more we got into the song, we're like, nah, I'm, who am I kidding? Let, you know. No, I was just feeling it. Like I was vibing with the song and I was, I really was like, Matt, I think yeah. I need to do this one because I'm connecting to it. It's one of my favorite songs on the record. So Matt, you also did a song with another New Jersey native and huge superstar, Bruce Springsteen. How did that we, come about? We did. I mean, it's, you know, it's unbelievable still after all the years have gone by since we released that song in 2015 but it really started when again through teaching you know someone's father or uncle knows somebody that knows somebody and next thing you know you know you get another referral for a student and i wound up getting a referral to teach bruce's son one of his sons uh, sam and uh, sam and i became really great friends you know what, what a, a great kid you know i had so much fun teaching him and you know he became like a little brother almost you know like that's just how Sam is. So one day Sam was like, Hey, you know, do you have anything new that you've been working on? And I'm like, yeah, actually I do. I got this, this song, not fighting with it, but I'm, you know, I'm still making decisions on it, but I would love to hear, you know, the opinion of a, of a 14 year old, 15 year old kid. Cause, uh, I'm still out of touch with what kids are listening to now. I, I, I don't know, you know, part of me doesn't care, I guess too. <laughs> I hate to say it like that, but you know, I know what I like. So anyway, so I, I played him the song, you know, I, I gave him the song on a CD and I showed up for the lesson the next week and Sam was like, man, I really like the song that you did, you know? And I'm like, oh, do you have any constructive cr criticism? You know, I would, I'm totally, I'm completely open. I'm not, you know, there's no egos here. I'm, I'm open to any suggestions. And Sam was like, well, I, I don't know. I don't have any suggestions, but maybe my dad might. <laughs> And I was like, what? And he's, he's like, well, I, I played it for my dad. And I'm like, you did what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we, we, were, we were heading to the record store, you know, find some, some, some new records to listen to. And, you know, so I played it for my dad in the car. And, and 
you know, and he's like, my dad really, really liked it. And I'm like, man, I wish I had like one of those bow tie cameras right now. <laughs> you know, anyway, so uh, on my way out of the, the house, you know, um, I had seen Bruce on the way out and Bruce said it to me. He goes, Matt, man, I really like that song, Black Boots, that you did. And I was like, holy crap, this is my moment. This is everything, you know, I got to tighten my boots up. I got to do something here and just spit it out. And I did. And I was like, well, man, I, I, I'm so honored that you like something that I wrote. You know, hey, would you be interested in playing on it? And it was it was really the spur of the, of the moment. It wasn't like I was like, I'm pitching this song because I want Bruce to play on it. Like I had right. nothing to do with it. And it just was one of those moments where I, wow, I finally said the right thing at the right time and it wasn't awkward. Because <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm usually the person to say all the wrong things at, at, in, in my mind the right times. So uh, Bruce, like, I, I guess it took him back and he was like, yeah, man, yeah, let's do something with it. And I was just like, holy crap, I can't believe that he, <laughs> like, that he, you're you like, know, can Bruce, you do it now? Can, you, can, you go, can we go now? <laughs> yeah, how about, how about now? Um, <laughs> But, you know, with Bruce's schedule, and then he went back on tour, you know, so it, it got pretty delayed because, you know, Bruce just didn't have the time to get to it. Anyway, so he finally gets to it, and his head engineer calls me to, to congratulate me and say, hey, Bruce finally got to your song. He had a blast doing it. He was, you know, having a good time with it and, um, you know, be happy that Bruce got to it because he's got, you know, a bunch of other songs he hasn't gotten to. And I was just like, oh, man, of course I am. You know, I'm like, I'm over the moon. I can't wait to hear it. You know, I can't wait to hear what, what he what he you know, his interpretation of of this blues rock song of something that he used to do many years ago, you know, with, with Steel Mill was one of his earlier bands. So um, he goes, yeah, don't 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 feel so bad. He's still sitting on a song from Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> You and went I'm, to the head of the line. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh my God, are you kidding me?" And it's like, it was like, you know, I, I didn't know what to say. I was just, you know, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, thanks for for seeing it through and and I actually, you know, getting it done. So after I heard it back, I'm like, "Oh man, it Bruce's vocals were so great and yeah. so in the moment of of that genre of music." I, it blew me away. It still does, you know, that I had to go back and and, and redo my vocals because I'm like. Mine stink compared to his. Like, like now, because like the way that he delivered it and the coolness in his voice, you know, and the rasp, the everything. That's like he put himself in my shoes a bit. I think, yeah. you know, I I haven't had a chance to really even ask him that, you know, ever since he did that. But, but um, the, you know, the way that he delivered it, it it's it's so great. I'll, I wish he sang the whole song. You know, what what an absolute honor. You know, just across the board. You know. To, to be on the same song as, as him, you know, it's like, it's incredible, you know, and, and to do something like that, that that's not, you know, his, his normal thing anymore with the way that Bruce writes, you know, and, he, and to hear him, you know, you know, get all down and dirty and, and do it like that again. It's like, I, you know, we, we made loose plans to jam together at some point and I hope that that day comes because I have nothing but respect for Bruce and he's just an amazing person. Yeah, you know, there's something about Bruce, especially his guitar playing. He doesn't get a lot of credit for being a great, great guitar player. You know, in, in the early days, he played a lot more guitar. You know, we, we, we yeah. had many conversations at the house 
um, you know, about guitar gear and, and Bruce would be like, man, what are you up to? And I'm like, oh man, dude, I just played through this hundred watt plexi from 68. It blew my socks off and this and that. And then he got all lit up and he's like, man, I had this basement, you know, I had this Echoplex. I'm like, Echoplex. And, you know, it was, it was, we were like two little kids, like talking about gear, you know, and it's, it's you know, I, having that connection with someone of that stature, you know, it's just, it's great. It, it just reminds us of why we do this in the first place, why we ever did it in the first place, you know? And, and he does play the guitar solo, so he he and I yeah. split the split the guitar solo on it, you know. And, and some some you know a lot of people were like, "Wow, I listen to Black Boots, you know, where, where's Bruce?" And I'm like, "What do you mean, where's Bruce? Like, <laughs> yeah. how, how can you not hear that that's him?" Right. And they were like, "Oh, it sounds like the." And I'm like, "You know what? Stop right there, because that's right. the best compliment I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs> is, that, is that I sound like him, you know? Because we both have this scratchy, you know, New Jersey, you know." goomba you know even on that italian attitude you know like to it you know and i guess that kind of you know threw people off at first that they didn't know realize that it's bruce and i'm like but yeah it's like how could you not and, right. you know but people don't hear like we all do you know so it's all good it's there it's there forever yeah so like rush back in the 70s you guys are real road warriors like we talked about before what do you got planned for 2023 you guys hitting the road again i assume yeah, definitely. Hopefully, the, hopefully diesel comes down a bit because <laughs> that's really good. It's a hard time. Yeah, but I think we have the whole year's planned out for touring. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll be out there slugging it out and driving mile after mile. So how many miles did we do this year? I don't even know. I didn't add it up yet. <laughs> it was in the thousands. Yeah, it was a lot. We have more planned for 2023. We spent quite a bit of money in oil changes in the bus, so <laughs> that means we we blew through a lot of miles. But all the dates will be up on the website, on the matterreband.com website. Yes, as we announce. They're not announced as of now. I see you've got two dates listed, December 30th in New Jersey and Hopewell, right? Yes. And January 7th in Riverview, Florida. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That one we're going to be doing a short little run down to Florida, get a little sunshine. Yeah, and get out of the cold for a... We're doing a, a big biker fest, and we're actually doing our Led Zeppelin tribute there show yeah oh nice so you do a whole show just zeppelin tunes well it's all original one set and all zeppelin another set so we have to force them to listen to our songs first (laughs) (laughs) so we're kind of using led zeppelin to get them in the door and say hey by the way maybe we'll do rush next (laughs) we did one of those shows down in virginia we were in yes and and so we walk out and you know we we didn't know anybody and the place was packed like the led zeppelin thing worked and it filled the room up so we walk out and and i I, I, first thing i say on the microphone was uh so i guess you guys are here for led zeppelin and everybody screams and yells and oddly enough there's a guy sitting right in front of me and he's wearing a rush shirt and and everybody else is wearing zeppelin shirts and I just see the Rush shirt, and, and the next thing out of my mouth was like, good, I'm glad you showed up for Led Zeppelin because we're playing all Rush songs tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and got a pretty good laugh. They still screamed for that, though. They, they, they did, were all yes, about it. Yes. <laughs> that one guy went crazy, right? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> well, he, he's from a Rush yeah, tribute I was gonna say, band. I think I may have told Steve about it. They have a Rush tribute band down there. They're called Caressing Steel. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, if you, if you want to hear some Rush down in Virginia, go see Caressing Steel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, the next time you guys play a show like that, when you see the guy with the Rush shirt, you can play Making Memories and make that yes, guy really happy. Yes, That's absolutely. True. That's true. <laughs> and how about the new record? Where can Rush fans get it if they want to pick it up? Uh, right on our website, Um 
as well as all streaming services. Yes, iTunes. It's actually Spotify. not available on the website right now. It's not. No. Oh, it will be. <laughs> it's on all streaming services and then eventually we're going to put out a vinyl yes that's what we're shooting for so vinyls obviously as you know pretty delayed in delivering vinyl because of the demand and of course you know supply and chain issues but i think uh what happened with the record is is we initially thought yes definitely vinyl but our running time is too long for a single vinyl. So it's oh. either it's either cut one song, which we don't want to do, just because we really believe and feel as artists and artists that produced our own record, which was great to do, that it sort of tells a story, you know, from start to finish. You know, it's not a cohesive story like a, like a Pink Floyd record, but... You know, cutting one song off of it just didn't make any sense. So we do have some other songs that we haven't released yet that are still sitting in, in the hopper. So we might add them and do a double vinyl is, is, is our, our, our ultimate goal. And, of course, that's, you know, a financial burden of, of having vinyl pressed, especially a double record. But that's what we're shooting for. So stay tuned to our website because once that is out, you know, we're, we're going to be uh, peddling that for sure. You know, I saw Jack White a few months ago. And the name of his tour is the Supply Chain Issues Tour. Yes. That very, <laughs> nice. very That's reason. great. That's nice. awesome. That's true. And I'm sure he's got a vinyl out too. <laughs> well, he yeah. presses his own. He's got his oh, own he's record plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, we own. need to talk to that you guy. You got his phone number? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jack, where you at? <laughs> and we did do a, a short CD run, yeah, we, um, we did, but we, we kept it really run. small because people aren't really buying CDs and we numbered them and signed them to kind of make them more of a collector's item than something yeah. that someone's going to like put in their CD player and listen to. Yeah. So yeah, in the meantime, since we wanted to put the record out before Christmas, Hey, let's press, press some CDs, you know, and, and see what people do. And if people are buying them for sure, but you know, it was a small, it's a small run of a hundred. So, you know, our real goal is on the vinyl, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I would guess that vinyl sales is probably exceeding CD sales at this point, right? Oh, yes, yeah. it has been for a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah. That is so crazy how it just turned around like that. You got to buy a new turntable, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I actually have one. I actually have one. So when your album comes out, I'll be grabbing it. That's for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on the Rush Fancast. Matt, Aaron, John, Lex, this has been great. The album is awesome. And we look forward to seeing you on the road in 2023. Thank you. Thanks, guys. So Lex has some good taste in bandmates, doesn't he? He does. <laughs> he really does. That was a lot of fun. That was great. And their cover of Making Memories is so different from the Rush version and very, very cool. Yeah, it is very cool. It's a little slower. A little slower. They slow down the tempo and it's got that kind of Matto Reband groove to it. Yeah. And Aaron's vocals, she is unbelievable. She is a powerhouse, man. On the album as a whole, on the, the new album. Yeah. Man, it's very impressive. And I got to see them live at the Vogel in Red Bank. And seeing them live, her vocals really shine through. I mean, she's incredible. Yeah, too, too bad I missed that show. Can't remember what I had to do. So I had something to do. We'll go see them, though. We'll get a chance to see them again. They play in Jersey all the time. Yeah. So again, the album is called Hand in Glove. And I was going to mention this when they were here, but I didn't want to upset anybody. This is the second album that I've ever heard of that has the word glove in it. Right. The first being that Spinal Tap album. Smell the glove. Yes. Right. Smell the glove, <laughs> which isn't even a real album, Steve. It's not. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. 
Instagram, find us at the rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. Let him know what you thought of our conversation with the Matto Reband. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And Jer, I hope you have a great quote. Wrap this one up for us. I do. Of course, it's from Making Memories, right? Of course. You know, we're having good days, and we hope they're going to last. Our future still looks brighter than our past. We feel no need to worry, no reason to be sad. Our memories remind us maybe road life's not so bad. I wouldn't know. (laughs) Either would I. (laughs) Thanks, Jer. See you later. Thank you.